Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome to our latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Now, last week I was in Indianapolis for the Commission on College Basketball as they revealed their findings, led by Dr. Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State. I sat down with Dr. Rice, and you can hear that and watch that interview on NCAA.com. Also, keep an eye out on NCAA.com for my interviews with Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, David Robinson and Grant Hill, a couple of former NBA icons, JT3, that's John Thompson III, former Georgetown and Princeton coach. And then a sit-down I did with Dr. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, Dr. Eric Kaler from the University of Minnesota, who's the president of Minnesota, and the chair of the Division I uh, Board of Directors, and then the chair of the Board of Governors, Dr. Bud Peterson of Georgia Tech. That's all on NCAA.com this week and into next week. Now for this podcast, on this edition of March Madness 365, I'll be joined by Fran Fischilla, a good friend of mine and a former colleague at ESPN. He's been covering the sport for a long time. And Porter Moser, the head coach of Loyola Chicago, took the Ramblers in that incredible run to the Final Four. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Loyola Chicago head coach Porter Moser, fresh off a new deal, going until 2025-26. That was to be expected that uh, Loyola would step up Porter. Uh, but on your end, the easy thing to be to do would be after this phenomenal success would be to sort of, you know, play the field, see what's out there, see if we're going to step up and uh, increase the money and security and move on to a higher league. Why didn't that happen? A handful of reasons you know, I I had a friend tell me, you know, don't run from happiness and I've invested my staff and I have invested so much in this grassroots rebuild at Loyola. And there's just such a, a passion and excitement around Chicago, around our campus. Um, I love our locker room. You know, changing the culture and having your locker room be what it is, it doesn't happen overnight. It is taking a, a, a lot of time. And I just, I felt like I didn't want to run from happiness. I, I you know, obviously the reality of, of it, you know, you, I just wouldn't talk to anybody throughout this run. I didn't want any distractions. And... You know, that just was what I chose to do. And, you know, in terms of some things, opportunities might have been filled. It didn't matter to me. This my whole focus was on Loyola in this run. And then since then, just seeing the the overwhelming outreach of of people here in Chicago. And I'm from here, Andy. And I, you know, I played in the Missouri Valley. I went to a Jesuit school. So there was a lot of fit for me. 
and I just I just wasn't ready, and I wanted to see, continue to build what we're building. So look, there's no reason why you can't stay um, and be successful. We've seen this, you know, obviously Mark Fusden at Gonzaga, Bob McKillop at Davidson, uh, Greg Marshall, Wichita State. Uh, he's been highly successful. Greg McDermott at Creighton. And before him, Dana Altman was there for a long time, went, actually was going to go to Arkansas, came back. Um, so schools, either in the Valley or comparable conferences, you know, have done that and have stayed put. And, uh, you know, Brad Stevens wasn't going to go anywhere until the Celtics called. So he stayed at Butler. Uh, but I also think, like, to your point, I think the city matters. And this is nothing against, you know, Evansville or Indiana State or – uh, Southern Illinois or Missouri State, and that I, I don't want to say you can't be happy in these smaller communities because you can, but it, it just I don't know. From my outsider view, it feels like you're in a city of Chicago. It's vibrant. It's obviously one of the greatest cities in the world, and you now have struck gold in terms of you've had success. How much did that also feed for you that you know what this is a place like I could stay for the foreseeable future and be very happy. It had a lot to do with it. Um, I've made no secret. I'm a Chicago guy and um, I have four kids and and they love it here. I have a daughter that's a junior in high school and, you know, she's going to be going into her senior year next year. And so it it did have a lot to do with it. And, you know, but the the thing I've challenged our fans already and I've challenged this is though, is though you want to, you know, as we've raised our level, you've got to raise the level of our infrastructure. You've got to raise the level to, because I want to be competitive with where we're going. You know, you mentioned the Gonzaga. I mean, those, I mean, they're, they're, they operate like, like, like they are a top 10 program. So it's an education process. You know, we finished last in attendance this year, you know, now at the end of the year, we had a sellout. We've already, I've already challenged our fans. You know, we've got, we have a 5,000 seat arena. It's a really cool venue on our campus. We've got to fill that every night. We, if we want to be a big time program and sustain this, you know, our budget, our, our, our different things, the way we operate. Um, and that's the challenges that I have, that we have as a staff and a program is if we want to be in the schools that you just mentioned, we've got to not only raise the wind column, we've got to raise the infrastructure to operate like a championship top program. Well, obviously it would make total sense to now strike you know, while the iron's hot, all these alums that poured out of who knows where, you know, and followed <laughs> you guys the whole route, uh, you know, certainly down to Atlanta and then, uh, you know, to, to San Antonio um, to where, hey, look, you know, we need your help now, just for, not just for this moment. But if you want to have this kind of, you know, fun run again, let's keep doing it um, and renew the commitment. I go, you know, I think about like even a program like Harvard, where they had no success forever and then they finally have a little success. They get in the tournament. They win a game, I think, a couple of years in a row. And suddenly these Harvard alums are coming out, you know, from all over the place. And they start to invest in the athletic program. And, and, and Tommy stayed there. And Tommy could have left, but he stayed because he's happy. It's in a great city. Uh, so what tangibly have you seen outside of your contract um, that, you know, potentially could happen since the Final Four? You know, we have to do that, though. We, we have to now strike why the iron's hot exactly what you said you know i've been such in a recruiting mode um and i've been doing a lot of you know speaking and and appearance modes but the fundraising one you know you would you would be shocked at what it was in the past and we have to strike i mean i i thought it was awesome to see the amount of loyola people um 
in San Antonio. I've never seen anything like it. Like it was, they were everywhere. And that was really cool to see. So like what you just said about Harvard, they're coming out of the woodwork to help. We have to have our team of people outreaching those people to do that because you have to, like we haven't had a practice gym. Now we're, we're, we're building a practice gym, which is a huge benefit. Everybody has a practice gym and now we're getting one. And so we need to, we need to strike while the iron's hot. So I, I, I really believe that's, that's something that we're, we need to do right away. So what's the timeline on that? They're breaking ground uh, May 15th, which is, which is really great. It's going to be connected to our arena um, and it'll be ready the following July. Okay, so July of 19. Um, Scheduling-wise, you know, it's sort of a, hey, that's great, you're great, you know, you're really good, but we're not going to play you. Um, What have you seen here, you know, in the last three, four weeks in terms of the ability to capitalize on that? Very tough. I've been on the road two weekends in a row with the live AU periods and just conversations with coaches. It's been very tough. And the one thing you hope is, and I know Wichita's, had some success with it is you fight the battle of i get it some some of the power five schools they 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 don't want to play you when your rpi is not good i'm like it doesn't help us your rpi is not good well now then you go to the fact where well our, you got to sell them, our rpi will be good or it was good and it will be hopefully again that it isn't it doesn't become on that column on you know selection the the process leading up to that bad losses you know, hopefully, or or bad wins, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll be a good game. But it just, it's very, very hard. You know, I'll tell you the answer I get all the time. And it's, a, and it's, and I got to be honest and transparent. I don't know if I wouldn't say the same thing if I was in their shoes, that they'll say, hey, Porter, we just don't have to return the game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, we're at the point where we just don't have to. So to get a home at home is just, so I'm trying to get neutral games. I'm trying to get, you know, it's, it's very tough to continue to play by games, you know, um, but it's a, it's, it's a really an issue with you know, schools like us trying to get a resume. You know, what bothered me, Andy, was when they use it against you in the selection process, like they didn't play a good schedule. Well, gosh, I'm, I'm getting blamed for something that I'm trying my tail off to get a hard schedule, to get quadrant one wins or road games. And it's the opportunities of the quadrant one games that we struggle with. All right. So at this juncture, what can you share as to what you've maybe been able to secure either that was already planned or, um, you know, that you potentially could do? Well, a great game that we have is, uh, is the Nevada game. Um, This is the last year of the Mountain West Missouri Valley Challenge. And we have Nevada coming to our place. I think they're going to be a top 25 team. When's that one? That's a great game. Yeah, that's um, that's going to be, I believe, um, it's going to be somewhere like November 27th or something, I think it is. Okay. And uh, so that's a great one. It's a rematch of the game there. Uh, he does a great job. And I think they're going to be a top 25 preseason pick. I mean, yep. they had some sit-outs. They got everybody back. So that's going to be a great game. So we have that one. And I'm trying for more. I'm trying for for a, a lot more at that yeah, that that rate. And and I think you're in a tournament down in Fort Myers? Yes, we're getting into that one too. So that we 
we're getting into the intersport tournament down there. And uh, I think there's, uh, you know, I think Boston College, I think we play Richmond, who's got everybody back. Um, Boston College and Wyoming are in it. So, um, you know, so I think that's an opportunity to get, you know, to play two more really good teams uh, at neutral sites. And um, so it's a, it's a process, Andy. It really is. Any, have you guys been, like UMBC, for example, they're going to open Marquette's new arena uh, because they're, you know, suddenly a hot name. Has anyone come at you and say, hey, you know, we want you for the opener because that'd be a great, you know, game for us? Or are you trying to secure a home game, you know, sort of to unveil the final four and all that to open the season? You know, we we have a home game open that we've had scheduled for like, a, it was a, it was a home and home series that we did like a year ago, and we scheduled a home game. Uh, we have UMKC. We went, we took Richardson and Custer back to Kansas City this year, and played at UMKC. And then we we put the date as our home opener uh, coming back. But I'm going to use your I'm going to use your platform and your podcast as a <laughs> as as a scheduling thing. I, I I'm open for games. I mean, if if people are scheduling, please call. I mean, it's it's something that we're we really want to get a good schedule. All right, so let's look at the roster. Uh, obviously there's some key guys that you lose in Ben Richardson yep. who made big time shots. Same with Dante Ingram. Th- those were by far and uh, excuse me. And then Andre Jackson, uh, who was a key reserve or sometimes starter. I mean, in terms of, you know, needing another big, so those guys move on, but that core group is still there, you know, where you've got Clayton Custer, who was a major part of us, obviously this run, Marcus Towns hit a big time shot, Cameron Crutwig, who, you know, was sort of passed by by the Big Ten schools uh, and held his own and then some back in the middle. Uh, you know, a guy like Lucas Williamson obviously played some key moments. How do you assess where you guys are at with this core group? And then if, educate me on who, you know, I don't know about that's going to be coming onto the roster. Okay, we, we, you're right. We do. We lose three really key pieces. Ingram Richardson, those two seniors that have been here four years, won 89 games in four years, huge part of our culture. Um, and then Andre Jackson gave us such a different look as a mismatch guy off the bench who averaged 10 points. Um, also the all-time leading field goal percentage in Loyola history. Just So three key. But we have, you know, like you said, we have the player of the year, Clayton Custer back. We have the freshman of the year, Crutwig back, who was third-team all-league. Marcus Towns, who averaged double figures, was our second-leading scorer, was on the all-region team. I mean, he's he's back. So that's three three starters. Lucas Williamson really emerged. I mean, he was playing, you know, starter minutes down the stretch, was our best defender outside of Richardson. So I'm, I'm really looking for him to step into that role, as, you know, and continue his, his ascent. Um, we had a sit-out in – it's Lou Aldang's cousin. He transferred from New Mexico. He's six 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 seven. He gained he's about two seventy five or two twenty five. He's a wing. I really think he's really going to be a, a really good player for us. His name's Ahir Agok, and he is. Uh, he's got three years left, but in practice every day, he's been one of our key guys. I think he's going to be a guy that people look at and is going to be a key guy for us. Um, you know, we had Bruno Skopna. Got in, it was in the rotation from yep. Croatia. He'll be a junior. Um, Christian Negron uh, was a freshman who was hurt coming in, but Christian's had a great postseason so far. We signed three really good players early that we, we think. You know, we, Isaiah Budoso out of Sunrise Christian Academy um, was just in that all star game with RJ Barrett. He's a 6'3 point guard. I love him. I think he's really going to be good for us. Frank Agunier played at La Lumiere. Um, 6'9", 245, gives us another big with Crutwig in there. 
And then Cooper Kefis played on the Mocan. All three of them played on the EYBL circuit, has played on a high stage. Um, Cooper Kefis is a, is a high-level shooter. Um, so we also have two scholarships left, um, and we're actively looking at guys. But I, I, I like our core group back. We, we have some key pieces missing, but we had a lot of guys taste that platform, Andy. A lot of guys tasted that platform, and, and they want it back. And I love the way these last couple of weeks, I tried to give them a couple of weeks off and they were, they were in the gym, they were in the weight room in the gym. And uh, it's a great part of our culture is that they, they want to taste that, that platform again. All right. So I think I know the answer, but the coolest thing that you have done since the final four, especially back in <laughs> Chicago, what was it? it? You know, I'm a lifelong Cubs fan. I knew it. I, I, I knew it. I, I know you're going to say, I've been, I've been, um, I've been uh, I've thrown out the first pitch, and I've done the stretch before. But opening day is sacred. Opening day at Wrigley is sacred, and to do it opening day. But I'll tell you what was really cool. What was really cool is we threw out the first pitch. So Sister Jean was going to throw the first pitch, and then I was going to do a second pitch uh, on the thing, and they wanted all our players to be behind me and throw it. And what was really cool moment was I'm sitting there listening to Ben Richardson and Custer, who were like, documented best friends it was so funny to watch there so they're sitting there and ben's like man i'd love to throw that first pitch he was like talking about he's i'd throw a strike and we walked out to the mound and i'm sitting there saying to myself you know i've done it before i'll I hopefully we'll do it again god willing and i looked at richardson and the rest of the team i said you know what our theme all year has been sharing the ball and i tossed the ball to richardson and he took the ball and he had a grin ear to ear he got up and he totally embraced the moment he went through a whole wind up and he threw a, a complete strike, and they all hugged him, and it was just a really cool moment. And the guys, we were just laughing, talking about sharing the ball, and I let him throw it, and and because uh, he's a senior, it was really a, a cool moment. And then we were up in the the booth, you know, Marcus Towns, uh, Richardson, and I. It was the when they announced that we were doing it, it I mean, all of Wrigley stood up and gave us a huge ovation, and we sang the seventh inning stretch, and it was it was really cool uh, on opening day. Yeah, I mean, moments you can't replace those moments. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Those are those are real, especially with the kind of guys we had. Yes. It was, it's just the most memorable ride, and you know, like anything, the people you share things with make it m- the most memorable. And the the people that we shared this with at Loyola and our teammates was just special. Well, Porter, as always, love chatting with you. And uh, any help we can give you in scheduling, uh, yes, use this podcast. <laughs> I am going to. This is, I hope this goes to millions of people, Andy, and, and I get some good calls. Well, Porter, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Take care. And when we come back here on March Madness 365, I'll be joined by Fran Fischilla. A lot to discuss with Fran Fischilla here on March Madness 365 from the Commission on College Basketball. To whether or not certain players should stay in the NBA draft or go back to school. That's all coming up on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, my good friend and former colleague Fran Fischilla, an ESPN college basketball analyst. And Fran, let's first talk about the Commission on College Basketball. Uh, they released their findings last week in Indianapolis. I was there with... Uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State, she head, headed the committee. A couple things that I think first we should state is that, number one, they were never going to come out and blow up amateurism. That was just never going to happen. They were going to just come out and pay players. So let's put that aside because that wasn't going to happen. Um, what did you come away with after you sort of read their findings uh, as maybe being the most effective uh, 
part of that, that the, the part that really has a chance to be implemented? Well, there are a few things. I, did, I wasn't expecting the Magna Carta. Uh, yes. I, I did I did expect that they would advance uh, uh, the ball forward on some issues. Uh, it, it's logical to me that we allow some of these kids who don't get drafted to go back to college. Uh, I would even be in favor of the hockey model where an NBA team could draft a player with the family and an agent, uh, decide that, hey, it might be better for you to stay in college another year and and uh, and not go to the – if you join our team, you're going to probably play in the G League, so you've got a choice there. Um, I think that the uh, putting more teeth into enforcement matters, um, and I'm all in favor of strengthening penalties for coaches who blatantly break NCAA rules, Andy. Uh, those, those are the few that come to mind. Um, I'd want to get uh, – and I'm sure there will be more – you know, the devil's always in the detail, so I want to see more detail about uh, things like summer basketball and how it looks right right now. And according to the people I talked to involved, that the NCAA, USA Basketball, and the NBA are going, uh, are going to implement uh, the summer basketball model. They seem to be pretty confident that it can be done uh, in a way that can service up to 2,500 uh you know, potential student athletes. So I'll take a wait and see. But all, all in all, I think uh, given the fact that the committee did not meet every single day for six months um, and they had limited time to in, implement uh, or at least, uh, uh, you know, advocate for certain changes, I think the committee did a reasonably good job. I really do. All right. So let's look at that uh, one one sort of draft related rule that if you don't get drafted, that you could come back. You know, Archie Miller, the head coach at Indiana, uh, spoke, I saw, I think it was to Matt Norlander or CBS Sports, about how that could be a difficult situation. I personally think that you're dealing with only a handful of guys and not every season. Uh, so it wouldn't be like, you know, you'd have to deal with this every year. Uh, from a former coach's perspective, we're in an era right now where sometimes you don't know your roster until August yeah. because of grad transfers, uh, especially. So how much of a disruption would that be for the real small minority of players that would go through the draft and go undrafted and then say, hey, can I come back? Minimal, minimal disruption. First of all, college coaches are very resourceful. You see what we've uh, the way they've taken advantage of the graduate transfer rule, you know, college recruiting now. Uh, whether it's a high school recruiting, JUCO recruiting, transfer, or or graduate transfer recruiting, you know, it's free agency. It's an ongoing process. Uh, it, believe me, Archie Miller and so many other great coaches will figure out a way. Uh, first of all, who has 13 guys on scholarship anymore at the right. highest level? You know, if you're, if you're coaching at Duke or Carolina or uh, – Kansas, I saw it this year where Bill Self had nine scholarship players. You have any more than 10 or 11, and you got a couple, three guys, four guys who are going to be unhappy and wind up transferring anyway. So this whole notion that we don't really know our roster uh, and we have to wait to figure out whether one of our key guys is going to eschew the draft and come back to school is nonsense. Of course, they're going to, of course, a coach is going to plan for the possibility of a player returning to school when, when they can help the roster. And Oh, by the way, you know, the graduate transfer thing is in full effect right now. I'm, I'm looking at a young man that 
is uh, visiting Villanova in Kansas, and he's not going to make his decision until he's pretty clear that Villanova and Kansas have figured out, you know, they're returning players uh, or in one case, uh, you know, a recruit tonight as we speak uh, that Kansas is uh, actively recruiting. So I don't buy this whole thing about it being disruptive to the coaches and the rosters. Uh, These guys are very smart guys and uh, like good general managers in the NBA, they'll figure out how to find a spot for a, a returning player. So the one and done issue obviously has become front and center. Uh, I don't believe that the commission would have put this forth without, you know, some sort of assurance from Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, or Michelle Roberts, who's the head of the Players Association, that there's a chance that it would go away and go back to what we used to have, where it was right out of high school, uh, where you could enter the NBA draft. So I, I do think that will happen. But they're also, and I brought this up to the president of Georgia Tech, Bud Peterson, and the president of Minnesota, Eric Haler, last week, that we're still going to have one-and-dones. They're just going to be, you know, a different level in that, you know, Trey Young, yeah. great example. He didn't come yeah. out of high school thinking he was going to be one-and-done, and he was because he had a great year at Oklahoma. Zach Collins, the year before at Gonzaga, yeah. didn't think he was going to be one-and-done. He goes, he has an okay year, but then he blows up in the tournament, and he's gone. So... That issue is still going to be around. Um, how does it change if they go if the draft goes back to eighteen out of high school? Yet, if you have a great freshman year, you're still going to leave. Well, it changes for the better. There's no question. First of all, I, I, I'm of the opinion, and from what I've been told, that almost all of these uh, changes were pre-negotiated uh, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, and in the case of one and done, I'm absolutely certain that. The discussion, well, of course, they, you know, they, they, uh, they appear before the committee. Adam Silver, I know, did, and I'm, I'm assuming Michelle Roberts did as well. But here's the deal: I absolutely think that if you're good enough to go to the NBA out of high school, whether it's a DeAndre Ayton or Marvin Bagley, they, those two guys come to mind. You ought to have the freedom to go, and then when you do decide to go to college, do you get a chance to stay as long as you feel? Uh, and again, we're talking about 50 kids, maybe. But you get a chance to go to college and decide how long you want to stay and what your market value would be to the NBA. I'll give you an extreme example. I I promise you nobody in the national media ever heard of Zaire Smith before last November, young man at Texas Tech, uh, from Dallas and uh, on nobody's recruiting radar, essentially, for most of his high school career. Goes to Texas Tech, um, has a very good, not great freshman year, but he has decided he needs to support his family, and um, he's going to get a chance to probably go in the first round. Had that not happened, because they have as equally a good a prospect out there, and Jared Culver, a rising sophomore, Jared Culver's probably going to be a two-and-done. He may be a three-and-done. But the fact that they have a legitimate choice now to either go right to the NBA, whether you're a great player or a kid who develops in college, I think is very smart and it makes perfect sense to me. And uh, it will not upset the balance of power in college basketball in the least. All right. So a couple of guys that are testing the draft process that have still retained their eligibility under the existing rules. I just want to bounce some names off you and what you think. Uh, let's start with the national champs, Villanova. Uh, Jay Wright was on our show uh, last week, and uh, if you read through what he was saying, you know they're preparing as if Omari Spellman and Dante DiVincenzo leave because they have to at this juncture. Uh, how do you assess sort of where they are in this potential draft and the impact they would have if they, if one or both, were to return to Villanova? 
Well, it's interesting because um, I think the Villanova staff would have wished that uh, it was Jalen Brunson who had 31 in the final, you know, yes. and, not the, and not the and not Dante. But um, I think they're both first round picks. I think they are now. Whether they are or not remains to be seen. Amari, because of his size and ability to shoot the ball, uh, modern NBA fits perfectly. Someone's definitely taking a chance on him anywhere between 15 to 30. There's no doubt about that. Dante, you know, has got to strike while the iron's hot, and he certainly is hot. Had uh, a number of monster games throughout the year. You know, the interesting thing about both guys is this is back to, you know, it's it's back to what we talked about. You know, they, they have put their time in. They've developed. They've been a part of national championships. And now they get to test whether they want to strike while the iron's hot. Uh, or potentially increase their marketability with another year of college and potentially either or both could be national player of the year type candidates. So I think this is the system that we have. And, and uh, believe me, I believe Jay Wright's going to reload fairly quickly if they both leave. And, uh, you know, they came to Villanova to do what they set out to do, which was win a lot of games, get close to their degrees and, and uh, now they get a chance to uh, make a living at playing basketball, which I think uh, nobody could begrudge them. All right, so a couple guys I want to just fire at you in the Big 12, uh, yes. and then a couple more in one, a couple other leagues, and we'll wrap this up quickly. But let's start in the Big 12, uh, and I'm going to just go down the line here. Uh, Kanate from West Virginia, who, boy, I was at that game against Villanova. His uh, dunk and block, I mean, just the, the veracity with which he yeah. – uh, you know, just handles himself on the court. Uh, Kerwin Roach of Texas. Uh, Linda Wigginton, who's had a sensational sort of under-the-radar freshman year out of Iowa State. And, uh, yeah, okay, those are the ones in terms of testing. All should go back. All Everyone should go back. Go back. Yeah, Kanate is an undersized power forward. They're all uh, they're all going to be G League guys initially. Can they all play in the NBA someday? Uh, likely. But each of them, in my opinion, and if I thought they could come out, I would say, hey, great time to go. I think they're all G League guys. If they, And believe me, I have a lot of experience with the knowledge of the G League. Not a fun place to be, even if you're a half a step from the NBA. I think, uh, you know, Kerwin had a good year, not a great year. He's getting better. He'll be a senior. Wendell Wigginton is a small scoring guard. I love the way he plays. And Kanate is an undersized four-man in the NBA I think they all ought to come back and uh, in each in, e- in each in their own way try to dominate the Big 12 next year if that's possible. All right, so we're just going to go down the line. I'm just going to cherry pick some of these names, and you tell me uh, if you think they got a chance to stay in and why they should go back. We'll just go down the line here. Jacob Evans, Cincinnati. He should go back. He's a G League player right now. Second round pick. Kyrie Thomas, Creighton. First round pick. Uh, arguably the best perimeter defender in this draft. Tyus Battle, Syracuse. Very underrated. Gets his own shot whenever he wants. Uh, you know, I, I happen to be a fan of his. I think he could sneak into the first round. Jonte Porter from Missouri. Uh, someone may take him in the late first. He's uh, there's 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 issues there physically, baby fat issues. He's got a, he's not a great athlete, but uh, someone could roll the dice in the late first round just with the idea of a long term big guy who can do a lot of things that help your team win, but. Uh, not ready to help an NBA team right now. All right, in the SEC, you got P.J. Washington and Jared Vanderbilt from Kentucky. I think they'll both be a part of a really good Kentucky team next year. All right, interesting. Tremont Waters, none, another guy that was sort of under the radar but had a really great freshman year for LSU. 
tiny. Um, 18 players last year were in the NBA under six feet tall. He's a talented kid, but I don't see there's much market value for him, especially in the first round. All right, Shamari Pons made a name for himself uh, in, in in the way in which he scored in knocking off Duke and Villanova back-to-back. Does he take the bait? He could. He's a high-volume shooter. He had an ultimate green light at St. John's. I don't discount him playing in the league someday, but for him to really increase his draft value with teams, I would go back, shoot 40% from three, uh, be a, be an all-American type guard next year and uh, find myself moving up the draft ladder with a great uh, junior year. All right, Chris Wilkes from UCLA. Two years away from being two years away. <laughs> I don't use that line very often. But it's a good one. Now, Carson Edwards, small, uh, yes. big-time scorer, uh, really could be one of the favorites for National Player of the Year next year if he comes back. He'll be a lock for a preseason All-American first team if he were to come back. What should he do? Uh, he, he should come back, but I really like his talent. He is a niche player. He's a scoring machine uh, as a very undersized, too. Reminds me a while ago of David Wesley, who played at Baylor and played in the league for a long time. Um, I think uh, likely not a first-rounder, but he does have NBA skill. I would come back, be a National Player of the Year candidate, and potentially be a first-round pick, maybe even a top-20 pick next year uh, in the draft. All right, three more. One who has had a very good college career. But sometimes I think that's, you know, it's okay to be a great college player and you may not be a pro and he may not like me saying this, but uh, what do you do with Ethan Happ? Come back. Um, I love Ethan. I love his game. It's going to be a better, young, talented Wisconsin team. Why not be one of the greatest players to ever play in the Big Ten? Because that's what it's going to end up happening and then go from there. You know, because outside- he, he is what he is. It's not going to like change yeah, next it's not year. not changing. It's not changing. He's an under-the-rim player. Yeah, he can make a roster both this year and next year. But if I were him, I would come back and finish an incredible college career as one of, honestly, the best players to ever play in that league, which is a pretty high praise, I think, given how good that league has been historically. All right, and the last two are twins. Uh, They had a phenomenal season, great tournament. The Martin twins, Cody and Caleb Martin at Nevada. It's a tough call because they transferred, so they were a year older. I like them both. Uh, Caleb is a scoring machine. You know, that's a good call. I, if I Here's what I would do. Um, Eric Musselman coached in the league. I know he wants what's best for both of them. If they could get uh, a reasonable guarantee that they're going to get picked, uh, let's say between 25 and 40. I know we always say that, oh, he's a late first, early second. But if, if they can get a guarantee that they can be picked somewhere before 40, both of them, it could make sense for them to come out. Otherwise, Nevada's going to be hellacious next year. And they're already having – not only are they having a good recruiting year, but given the way they handle transfers, I, I vote for Eric Musselman as an executive of the year as well. He's like <laughs> a general manager. Well, all these players have until May 30th uh, to withdraw from the NBA draft. 
Uh, remember the rules are the rules this season. They may change going forward. Uh, and they're, they're not going to be able to change, I don't think. Well, they're not because they voted on in August. So if you go undrafted this draft, you can't come back. Uh, the earliest that could change, obviously, is for the draft in 2019. Uh, so they got to deal with the consequences if they stay in this season. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens going forward. Fran, as always, appreciate you joining us here on March Madness 365. Always a pleasure, Andy. Thanks so much. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We're here to serve you throughout the course of the year, covering the sport of college basketball, all the newsmakers, and, of course, all the changes in the game. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Thanks for listening. 